What do you want me to do? Should I, can I just start talking again? Yeah. Is it okay? Yeah, don't be so stiff. Just enjoy it. Have fun. No, I have to be stiff because if I move, then I touch something and then you get You can be physically glare. stiff, but you don't have to, you know, like, oh, that's interesting. Just be yourself. I am myself. I can't be anyone else. Okay. I'm going to throw something at you. All right. You ready? Hey, this is Heath Padgett, and welcome to the RV Entrepreneur Podcast, Episode 13. That was my wife, Alyssa, and I, while we were getting ready to record this episode. Today is the first time to try out a Q&A episode on the RV Entrepreneur Podcast, where Alyssa will be interviewing me instead of bringing on a guest to be interviewed. Over the past week, I asked a few people in our Facebook group what questions they would have for us about working full-time on the road, and that's what I'm going to be answering in today's episode. A few things that we're going to cover are how do you go about starting a side hustle or a freelance business while you're still working full-time? What are some of the favorite tools that we use to run our video business while we're on the road? And how do you go about monetizing a blog or a YouTube channel? Before we get into today's episode, I want to thank today's sponsor, Copilot RV, a navigation app that provides route planning and voice guidance designed specifically for RVers. The Copilot RV app will not only customize your routes to avoid sketchy back roads and low bridges, but it also comes with a fully offline navigation function. This way, you don't have to use your data while also using your maps, which is awesome. The Copilot RV app runs for $49.99, which is a fraction of the cost you'd pay for a big, clunky, and expensive GPS system that doesn't conform to your vehicle's needs, where you can't enter in your height and how large your RV is and all those specs to get a customized route. And last week on the show, I announced that I partnered up with a team at Copilot RV Apps to give away a free license to one of my listeners. So if you want to be entered into that contest to win a free license of the Copilot RV app, this is the last week you'll be able to enter the contest. To be qualified, here's what you got to do. Go leave an honest review of the RV Entrepreneur Podcast in iTunes. You can search the RV Entrepreneur in iTunes and then click ratings and reviews to leave one. It's pretty simple. And then leave a comment on the show notes page at heathpaget.com slash episode 12. That was the last episode of the podcast just to let me know you left a review. And that's it. I'm going to be picking the winner from that contest at the end of this week. All right, let's get into the show. All right, welcome to episode number 13 of the RV Entrepreneur Podcast. I am joined today with my wife again. This is our second episode to do together, back by popular demand, aka a few people emailed us and asked us to do another podcast together. So here we are. Uh, we are in Austin, Texas today, parked on the lake. This is our favorite place to have our RV because the lake is full. It's 360 bucks a month to park here. And today we're going to be talking about several different topics on our business, everything from starting a side hustle business to what are the tools that we use while we're out on the road. So I'm actually going to hand this podcast over to Alyssa, and she's going to be asking me questions today. So let's get started. Are you ready? You sweating yet? I think so. Well, I am sweating a little bit because we have the AC turned off in here. (laughs) Well, all these questions come from people in the Facebook group, Make Money and RV. She asks, how do you structure your days? So we, we've had pretty much the same routine since we got started. And our biggest struggle is trying to structure days where we are traveling in the RV because we've tried being able to get up early and work in the morning and then try to hit the road around noon or one or so after we check out of the RV park. And then, you know, you're kind of exhausted. And so I would say first and foremost, that's been our biggest struggle is trying to figure out how do we structure the days when we're traveling to get actually get stuff done? Do we wake up and travel first or work first? 
But in general, if we're going to be staying put, you know, I wake up and I read and I journal and then I make a to-do list for the day and I get done the things that I, I want to do. It's pretty boring and straightforward. But Super boring it's, I mean, it's boring and straightforward, but that's what I do every day. And Seth Godin is infamous for exchanging emails for people's best-selling author and marketing guy. If you haven't heard from him, you must be living under a rock kind of thing. But Seth, I emailed him saying, hey, how do you structure your days? Because I was just curious. And he emailed me back basically saying, it doesn't matter how you structure your days. Like if, if I told you even how I structure my day, it wouldn't allow you to get things done. And I kind of felt embarrassed for asking that question. But then I realized he's totally right. Like it doesn't matter how you structure your day. You know, everybody's different. So anyway, that's that's pretty much how I structure mine. I think what I would add to your answer is there's there's two things that you do almost every day. Somewhere in between noon and two, you say, that's it, I'm going kayaking. And you take the kayak out on the water. And somewhere in between two and three, you say, it's nap 30. And you go and you pass out either on the bed or in the hammock. And I think that's a really important part of how RVers structure their day because you don't have to work. Yeah, I say not everyone, but especially so while we're here in Austin, we're around, I think we're like the only non 100% non-retired people here at the RV park. And so everyone kind of is just leisurely walking around all the time. And a lot of them are like, dude, do you, do you guys actually work? And we work a lot during the day, but every day I will take time off to go kayaking and I will take time off to, to do a nap and in 20 to 30 minute little spurts and things like that. Cause I, it rejuvenates me and it reminds me that we've achieved this flexibility. At least right now we have, and hopefully that continues. Yeah, and that's something a lot of people want is the flexibility. So I've got a question from Chris. He wants to know, how do you work on starting a side hustle business while you have a full-time job? A full-time job. Would you work for free for a while until you become confident enough? And would you teach yourself on YouTube or take some kind of course? Yeah, and, and Chris, thanks for asking that question, man. Uh, I know you've been listening to the show for a while and part of the Facebook group. So just first and foremost, thanks for being a part of the community, man. And, and we changed up the question a little bit. Chris is a pilot, and Chris said uh, he listened to the most recent episode, number 12, of the Holcombs and was like, I would love to get in photography. How would I be able to do that because I'm a pilot? And so how do you structure that time? And so this is something that I feel like at one point or another, every person struggles with, and it's going to be different in every scenario. I can only really explain how it's worked for us. Last year, I was working for a guy named Jia Zhang. He's an author and entrepreneur, and he has a book through Random House called Rejection Proof. And I worked for him for seven or eight months, I think it was. And he hired me for a few different reasons, to plan and coordinate his book tour for the release of his book to help him launch an online course and video it and also to help him just grow his online reach and his email list and things like that. And so once we got to that six or seven month mark, the whole idea was to reevaluate whether or not we want to keep going uh, on this project moving forward. But the only thing was I was working for him full time and I didn't want to be working for anybody full time, even though I was enjoying my work. And so they, I, the struggle for us, for Alyssa and I last year was that we wanted to pay off our student debt. So the question was, do I keep working for somebody full time, even though I don't want to be doing that, but we're making you know enough money for sure every month? Or do we try to jump out and do our own thing with the idea that we may not be able to make enough money to make ends meet? And so you and I were really struggling with this question. And we had, I don't know how many fights we probably had about this, but basically trying to figure a out million. like a million <laughs> fights, maybe a bit obsessive. But I mean, reality, we really struggled with this idea because I would come to you every other day saying like, babe, I don't want to be be working for anybody else. I think we can do our own thing. Uh, and so the solution was, 
not to jump off working with Ja and just try to go do our own thing automatically. It was kind of a seg- segue between the two. So basically, we came to Austin. I started networking and basically pitched a few different people to say, hey, this is the work that I've been doing with these online courses and film, film work and helping people grow their email list and things like that. I'm not a pro at it, but this is where I'm at. And Yeah, you'd done one. I'd done one. Yeah, exactly. But they were interested and said, hey, you know, I, I really need that, you know, that service and I would love to work with you. And so basically, we were able to build, I think, like two or three clients at that point. And so that allowed allowed us to basically seg- segment out of working with Jaw as a full-time job into doing client work, which was the same work, but a fraction of our time. And it allowed us to refocus on other projects that we wanted to grow, like growing my blog and growing, uh, eventually starting this podcast and, and all those other types of, of things. And so it ended up working out. Did that even answer that question? I think that was more of your story. So like, what would you tell Chris? This is something I specifically did. That would be helpful for him. In your scenario, Chris, yeah, I would totally, if I were you, if I wanted to learn photography, the first thing I'd do is just take some online courses uh, or the first thing I would do is just read some, get on Google and type in like how to take good photos because there's so many different just blogs out there that can actually mm-hmm. walk you through uh, the one, one step, two step, three step on how to take a good photo. And you could probably go for the first couple months just learning straight from that. If you really wanted to accelerate that, there are a lot of online courses out there that can teach you how to do that. I think Jeremy Cowart has a course out there that's available right now on how to take good photos. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's a famous photographer. He's photographed Carrie Underwood and the Pope and people like that. And so I, that, that would be- I like how you put Carrie Underwood and the Pope on the same Everyone level. knows those two people. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's what I would do. I would work on building up that skill on the side uh, and knowing that it would probably take, you know, two to three years before you can ever actually monetize it. If you even want to, you know what I mean? You may not even want to do that, but that'd be my advice uh, based off of what we've done. That's a good point. How much time do you think you need to invest in a side hustle before you should expect that it be making you money or before you need to quit and realize it's not working? I think it depends on what type of craft you're working on. For us in film, it I think we mentioned this in the podcast that we did before, it took us nine months to go from having no film experience to actually getting our first client. Was it was it nine months? Yeah. Okay, around yeah. nine months. So film is a higher paid craft. I mean, you get you can get a thousand bucks for going out and shooting for a half day and getting a two to three minute video to somebody. Uh, if you're talking about writing, it took much longer for me to hone my writing skills. Uh, several years, uh, I've been blogging now for over four years, and uh, you know, I still you still don't get paid very much because it just doesn't yield to as much payment. If you're a developer, there are immersive 12 to 16 week programs where you can go in and come out the other side and be making eighty thousand dollars a year with that craft. And so I just think it depends on what skill you're trying to learn and whether or not the pace at which you're learning it. It's all going to depend on that. So you mentioned that you've been blogging for four years. Mm-hmm. How many blogs have you started, Heath? That's irrelevant. No, no, <laughs> I, I want to hear this answer. I want to see if you can remember them all. Uh, I had a, I had a clothing line I started in college. I had a blog for that, uh, and so that was my first one. I had words with Heath. I had the important blog. I had happiness for sale, and I think that was it. It's four. Yeah, four. And then Heath Padgett. And then Heath Padgett. So. Uh, five blogs. Five blogs in four years? Yeah. That's not too bad. So Debbie's question is that she's trying to start a blog Mm -hmm. that kind of documents her experience hitting the road. So how is it that a person makes money from blogging? So the first thing I do is point you towards an interview that I did on my blog on uh, from Michelle from makingsenseofsense.com. She has a financial blog and she has made a lot of money uh, for the past couple of years on her blog. She did like $300,000 last year from her website. 
And across the board, what I've seen, I'm not an expert in how to make money from a blog. I won't claim to be because I'm just starting to learn a lot of this. But what I've seen from a lot of people that has really worked is this idea of creating a niche site. So you make a website, a blog over one specific subject, and then you really hone in on that subject. So for Michelle, it was she graduated from college, had a lot of student debt, learned a lot about how to pay off debt through just different side hustle projects, freelancing, writing, and things like that. And then she blogged about those experiences. And then she started turning around teaching other people how to blog. And she has made the most of her money through affiliate income. And affiliate income, if you don't know, is when you blog about a particular company or product that you believe in and you get a commission when people buy it. So Michelle has a blog on her website called How to Start a Blog, and she's partnered with WordPress to be an affiliate for that blog. And if you go sign up for a WordPress hosting account, she gets probably like a 3 or $4 kickback per month for every person that signs up through that blog, and it generates tens of thousands of dollars per month for her. Not everybody can reach that point, but it takes years and years to get there. And so other ways that people can make money through a blog is through ebooks. If you want to write, you can write in book. You have to build up an email list. People have to trust you. It just it takes years and years to build a blog. And if you want to be able to create an income, I would say the very first question that you need to ask yourself when starting a blog is why. Why do you want to start a blog? For me, I wanted to start a blog because I eventually wanted to publish books. And that was my motive in the beginning. And it's changed over time to building a community of people around an idea. So for me now, my blog at heathpadge.com, The RV Entrepreneur, the the best thing that it's done for me is connect us to with like-minded people. We got to meet somebody this past week. They're 20, 22, and 24, and they they just started full-timing and we they came to Austin. We got to hang out for a full day and just talk about what they're doing and what projects and the struggles that they had to overcome in order to hit the road. And that's been some of the most meaningful things that have come out of a blog for us. It's not to maximize income, not at this point. Do I want to be able to make an income for my blog? Hell yeah, of course. You know, who wouldn't want to do that? But I think it's important to study your motives going into it and know that if you just create a generic travel blog sharing your stories, the chances of you monetizing that are very slim. It's not, it's possible, but it's slim. You know, a lot of people have really honed in on specific subjects, become experts in those subjects, publish content on them. And so that's a big way that you can earn income from blog. So she is wanting to document her experience hitting the road. What's one or two things specifically she could do to increase her chances of ever making money from her blog? Publish content consistently, build trust with your readers, whoever's reading your blog, build trust with them. Uh, guest posts on other blogs to drive traffic back to your website, create content that's relevant for people and funny and engaging, hone the craft of writing. And then after doing that for like a year or two, you can potentially, if you've built up enough traffic and readership, then you can start partnering with companies to you know sell relevant products. Because I think if you're doing a travel blog, it makes a lot of sense to partner up and do sponsorships with companies who are relevant to that, you know, like hiking or camping or RV related companies because you have the audience for that. So that would be my advice. How many readers did you have when you made your first money off your blog? How much did you make? That was probably my first money I made off my blog. I think it was Passport America affiliate sales Mm -hmm. and it was 10 bucks, (laughs) 10 bucks for uh, somebody buying through my link because we use Passport America a lot while we're traveling. And so uh, that was the first income that I made. And that. how many viewers were you getting to your website every month before you got that $10? Probably five to 7000 Not that much. Yeah. All right. So you mentioned sponsorship in your answer. And that was a question from Callie. She wants to hear more about sponsorship and how do you approach people? You've had a couple of your 
episodes of podcast sponsored? How do you how do you get that? Well, we've had different sponsors over the past couple of years. So we had Snag a Job that sponsored our first hourly or hourly America, our road trip across the country. That was a big sponsor. And now we have Winnebago as a sponsor, just sponsoring our travels and our blogging and we're part of their team. And then the podcast, I've also had a Copilot RV sponsor an episode. I have a an up and several upcoming sponsorships that we've lined up. So the way that I've approached sponsorship since we got started has just been aligning with companies who I think are cool and fun and I'd want to associate myself with. And so that's been my philosophy across the board. If a company seems lame or they send me like a templated generic looking email or I think their product is crap, I don't even think about it because I want to find companies who I would genuinely want to use what they're what they're serving or what they're providing and or they just seem like fun, interesting people that I would like to be associated with. And so that's been my philosophy on finding sponsorships and aligning myself with them. Uh, and as far as just executing on that, being able to clearly articulate and communicate what value you're providing for them. As far as readership, how many people do you have? And also being transparent about that. Because if you get one or two sponsors on board because you fluffed how many numbers of people you have coming to your website or how many subscribers you have, then they're not going to get any value out of that. And you're going to spin your wheels trying to get like one or two sponsors. And then nobody's going to care what you have to say because you know you didn't show up and overwhelm them and provide value. And they're not going to sign on for long term. So just to give you a couple examples of how our sponsorships have looked. For snag a job in return for giving us a thousand bucks a month and helping connect me with different hourly jobs across the country for our documentary, I agreed to write one blog for them for every single job. I agreed uh, that we were going to make a documentary and we'd give them a credit in the documentary. And in return, you know, they gave us some money and they helped us get to Alaska and Hawaii. And so I clearly said, no matter what happens, no matter what PR opportunities come out of this for you guys, these are these are the clear, tangible things that we're going to provide for you. And so I think that that was probably it's always helpful to be able to say, like, we can't guarantee that X or Y is going to happen. But here's where we are at right now. And here's what we're willing to provide to you. And so that, that would be the thing that I would focus on. Is just what you can provide. Yeah, is what you can provide, knowing that if you have enough readers. I, I mean, first and foremost, I would focus on providing content and value to people and, and building up that readership and, and you know, uh, community who would even care to hear f about companies and sponsors and things like that. Because if you don't have that, then it's relevant to spin your wheels trying to get sponsors. So it's all about your audience first is basically what you're saying. Right, serving your audience first. You've mentioned a bunch of different ways that you've made money. Can you list them all? Like how many different things have you tried to make money and which ones have worked or which have you tried to make money with that has failed? How long are we talking here? Just the two years that we've lived in an RV. Okay. So not like my lawnmower business in middle school or anything like that? I think your lawnmower business in middle school was more successful than some of the things you've done in the past two years. That's very true. And also harsh realities from the wife. Thank you for that, babe. Uh, no, you said you've made like $3,000 in like a week. Yeah, so it's, it's pretty lucrative. Hard work, but lucrative. Anyway, so uh, in the RV, things that we've done to try to generate income while we're traveling. And just to, as a preface to this, our going into living in an RV, the thing that we did was kind of just take the, the jump and leap and try to figure it out along the way. So we didn't go into this like a lot of people, potentially smarter people that already had a plan or freelance or skills that they could monetize. We had to completely figure it out on the road. So we tried freelance writing when we first got out of the gate trying to reach out to companies and say hey we can do some writing for you guys and that was kind of just a low-hanging fruit because we had been blogging and doing things like that so that was one of the first things we tried let's see what else did we we i mean we've done film 
Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, how much do you think we made doing just like freelance writing in two years time? I know the first year we did like 700 bucks, like total. Yeah. So and not like much. months. Of, and it takes so much time. And that's the thing with blogging and trying to get stuff with different companies. It's just like, it's good if you've never done any type of freelance and writing is the main skill that you can offer to companies. Uh, but it's also just not very lucrative. And so that was a struggle. And so that's why we started doing more film work because you could go out and do a one day shoot and get paid a thousand bucks. And that, and that was super beneficial for us. And then being able to basically, the more that you can hone your skills and, and do different types of work and scale up and up and make more money for the things that you're doing. Like last week I had a speaking gig and it paid three grand for one day. And so just figuring that out. And it's all been a trial and error process. All right, so you, you said writing, freelance writing, what are the other things? Freelance writing, we did film work for people, which could be like we did about videos for websites. We did speaking reels, book trailers. What else do we do? Courses. Course, well, yeah, which has been the main thing. a lot more filming. Yeah, so if you don't know what online courses are, a lot of people probably do. But online courses are just educational content where people have something they want to teach where they already have a pre-existing audience over a specific subject, or they have a services-based business. So our most recent online course that we filmed was for a client named Job Ginny. She's located in Portland, and she has done professional writing and resume services for clients for the past 10 years. So if you need a resume writing, if you need a new resume done, then you go to her, and she's done this really well to the point where she's been able to charge like eight or $900 per client just to get a new resume. So she caters towards mid to upper level professionals and the only problem is she is stuck doing this business all the time and so she's like booked turning out. turning clients away because she's so booked. turning clients away because she's so booked and so she's like well what if i created an online course for 200 dollars instead of 800 dollars, and i teach people everything i know about how to write your own resume and do it really well so you can get hired for a job and that way i can free up my time to spend more time with my family and so she came to us and we worked on helping her craft that course what went inside obviously she's the expert and then we filmed it for her put it on a platform called teachable and so she launched that and I think she did like six grand in her first week. And so she's now able to essentially be able to, you know, segue out of having tons of different clients and actually be able to spend more time doing what she wants to do. And so that the online courses have been super beneficial for us. And the good thing about those is they pay really well. So we typically charge anywhere from five to 10,000 per course launch, and they span out over three month periods of time. And so that ends up kind of being the generic income. So we can take on, you know, just a couple of those clients while we're doing whatever else we want to do. But for us, the ideal situation is be able to build up more passive income streams. Like I'm working on an ebook right now that around this whole idea of our being in your 20s and some of the biggest things that we have learned while we've been on the road. Affiliate income this month has been our best month, even though it hasn't been that much. I made uh, a little over $200 this month on Passport America affiliate income because I'm getting paid 20 bucks per person that I refer to Passport America. I'll put the link in this bio if you want to check it out. <laughs> <laughs> so continuing to build up those more passive income streams so we can have the most time possible while we're on the road. So no more client-based stuff. Yeah, so less client-based and more passive income streams to allow us to uh, continue working on doing more film, more creative work, and also getting a company started that providing some type of product. So that makes me think of... We we tell a lot of people we work in film, mm-hmm. and there's so much glamour when you like tell someone, "Oh, I work in film." <laughs> Brad Pitt and I are like best friends, but I think there's this idea that if you work in film, that you do make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And I would Wanted like to, to just that. I know I just want to ask you how much money have we made with Hourly America? Oh, negative. 
negative like thousands of dollars yeah negative experience wise super valuable yeah super valuable but definitely like super super negative on on money wise and hours invested i don't know how many like what is the percentage of films that actually produce revenue but it's one of those skills where it's one in five one in five and that's probably way higher than it realistically is in the big scheme of things of films that make money Mm -hmm. but the good side is that you know it's taught us a whole new craft that we can go out and do to communicate with people and to film causes over things that we're passionate about and it, you know, it really is. Like, we can tell uh, hourly worker stories uh, from Hourly America with this, working on a new project about kids who are aging out of foster care for a documentary film. And so it essentially allows us to be able to, to hone our skills and do something that can benefit the world and also make money from it. But yeah, it hasn't been extremely lucrative for us. But I think it's just one of those things where maybe we need to give ourselves 10 years before we can really look back and say, hey, it's been worth it or not. Because I think it just takes that period of time to be able to say, like, this is when you can really capitalize. Yeah, I just think a lot of people, whenever, especially when you're traveling, you think, oh, I'm going to take pictures, or I'm going to make these videos of all these, like, pretty places, and all the people we meet, or whatever, and it's not at all an industry to get in. It's a really sexy industry. It's not a great industry to get into if you want to make a lot of great money, and I know the whole comms from the last episode know a lot more about how to get paid to take epic photos, but just people in general instead of like just making a movie like what we did which made like no money we had to then do more commercial work and right make and videos for yeah so there's a big balance between doing the you know the commercial work like the nitty-gritty that gets you paid and doing like the really fun stuff that we love to travel and make fun videos (laughs) and i think the biggest con to film work in general and creative photography whatever you want to call it is just the client-based business it's it's seemingly exhausting because it's like Mm -hmm. if you're in the position where you have to like keep going out and getting clients for forever that's just not a business that interests me over time. You know what I mean? Like it enabled us to segment and do our own thing and be able to make a full-time income through film and other creative projects. But as far as something I'd want to do for 25 years, no way. I want to be able to have more of a controlled income stream that isn't reliant on me going out selling all the time to try to get new clients. So ideal situation every month where you want your money coming from. Where do I want my money coming from? Our money, yeah. you mean? Yeah, Yeah, our money. Where do you want our money to come from? (laughs) Yeah, I think I have a six-month plan for that, and then I have a long-term plan for that. The six-month plan, and this would be – gosh, I didn't know you were going to ask this. I'm kind of fumbling here. Uh, One thing is working on a book so that we can share what we've learned and why this lifestyle has been so beneficial to us over the past two years. And I don't look at that making as lots of money, but it's one thing. Random speaking clients that come in are always nice that we can share a story from Hourly America. You know, I spoke for Chick-fil-A. I've spoken at UPS, all these other places. So that's been beneficial. Other source of revenue is ramping up affiliate income and trying out different ways. I've done two blog posts that have done considerably well for affiliate income for just getting started. One is Password America. One is ConvertKit, who is our email marketing service provider. Being able to ramp up more of those. As far as long-term goes, in five years, I would to be having have my own company that is potentially solving a pain point in the RV market. And so that would be the ideal scenario for us is whether that's a product or software-based service, that's where I'd really like to be having a team that we can run and potentially even sell a company. So that's where I would like to be. Yeah. Where are you going to run your team? Like, We'll get like a toy hauler and stick them in the back <laughs> no we just you know run off slack run offline everyone you know every everyone's online so all right that's a good point so we're we're self-employed we live in an rv like one of the best tools for people that are 
about to move into RVs and try working remotely, what do they need? Obviously good Wi-Fi. On episode nine, if you are trying to figure out internet and things like that, I'd highly recommend you go check out that episode with Technomadia because they have some really good advice on how you can get unlimited Verizon data plans while you're traveling on the road. So internet's the number one thing. Obviously, if you're working online, you need to have good internet. Such uh, a 2016 kind of answer. Totally, you yeah. You can't survive without the internet. I mean, but it's so true. I mean, we were just, so I mentioned the friends that we met who just came into Austin. They're in their 20s. They're working full-time on the road. And he said they left with the expectation that they'd be able to get decent Wi-Fi at RV parks and things like that. And he was like, I was so wrong. Oh, I was so wrong. so wrong. So just figuring out the Wi-Fi scenario is crucial. We use. Go- I guess that's a, good, that's a good thing to point out. If you are thinking about traveling full-time, specifically in an RV, you should expect to never, ever, 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 ever have good Wi-Fi at an RV park. Especially not reliable enough to do like any type of Skype calling or streaming services or anything yeah, like that. Or you uploading wanna, data. Yeah, if you want to upload like a photo to your email as an attachment, not going to work. If you want to download past. something from the internet, think of the past. <laughs> it is not going to happen. Do not expect that. Go to a Starbucks or get a hotspot, a jetpack, Verizon we, we use Verizon. Yeah. We love it. Other things that we use to run our business, I'm using a Blue Yeti microphone to record this podcast. We use I use ConvertKit, as I mentioned, for email marketing service. We use Google. What? Explain that a little bit more, email what? marketing service. Okay, so if you're interested in starting a blog while you're traveling and keeping in touch with people, there's different email marketing service providers that you can use. You can use MailChimp. You can use AWeber. All these manage your email list. Up What's until... my email list? Are you serious? Are you just... Okay. This is an interview. You have to answer my questions. Like, why do I need an email list? Like, that's a really basic thing that you got to start out with. Um, I feel like a lot of people know that. But if they don't, email lists are relevant because if you have a, an audience because you own an email list, obviously. You can communicate with them at any time. A lot of people spend their energy on, you know, social media and things like that. But there's been a lot of research done that social medias can come and go. But email has been around for a long time and... A lot of people believe it still will be relevant for quite a while. So the power of an email list is just being able to communicate one-on-one. Because if you think about something like Twitter, thousands of messages every second. You know, messages get inundated. But email, you still get direct access to people in their inbox. And even if they're getting a lot of emails, it's still a much higher open rate than any type of social media. Well, and if you're ever planning on selling anything, like you're planning on selling your book that you're writing, the ratio is... 50 to 1 as far as sales made through email, through your actual email list versus anywhere else online. Right. So every book, every one book that I could sell on Twitter, I could sell 50 on an email list. This is kind of the the data that a lot of people have put out there. As far as whether that's accurate, I'm not sure 100%. But But I like it. it, But I like it. And it makes (laughs) sense for this podcast. So that's the power of an email list. And ConvertKit is a company started by a friend, Nathan Barry. And if you've been in my How to Travel on Two Grand a Month course that you can sign up through my website, that is powered through ConvertKit. It's a seven-day course that gets sent out over 25 days, and you can do all these types of automation and things like that. And I wrote a blog about why we why we switched to ConvertKit from Mailchimp and how it's really been super impactful for us. And mm-hmm. so that that's that's ConvertKit. The other things that we use are Google Docs a lot. We live in Google Docs uh, for working with clients and things like that. And we mostly live in Google Docs because Google Docs those are online, so you need internet to access them. But we're too cheap to get like the Microsoft Word. Excel, yeah, all yeah. those things. The other thing we've been like living out of is Slack. So we've been using Slack a lot. I don't use Slack, but you do, I love you it. use Slack. Yeah. It's, it's like instant messaging. RVLife.slack.com. Come join our group. 
Anything else? Any other cool tools, things you recommend? Someone else did ask, what's the best camera equipment to use? And why don't you answer that? It doesn't matter. So what I would say is... We have, we started out with a Panasonic AVC cam that was from our sponsor company and a a GoPro. GoPro. And a Panasonic, not a great quality, but something that's great to learn on. So we learned on that for three months, decided to upgrade, got a Canon 7D. So the Canon 7D um, is designed more for video than it is for photography. It does both just like any other Canon camera, but this one is specifically for video. So we use that a lot. It's a huge difference as far as quality but my sister and I know a bunch of other people use the Canon Rebel and you can get that plus a lens for I think it's like $800 or something super super cheap uh, and that's if you get one new and so that's always a good option whenever we were going to Alaska or maybe it was before Alaska maybe it was Hawaii we knew we needed to get a new tripod and a monopod and a new mic and all these things. Maybe we didn't need them, but Heath was like really adamant that we wanted them. So we just went to Amazon Basics. So whenever you're shopping online on Amazon, they have a whole section that's Amazon Basics. And it's basically really cheap versions of other things that they sell on Amazon. So we got a tripod and a monopod together for like $15, like just ridiculously cheap. And they're not the greatest quality, but it's something that we can use every single day. And we did the same thing with a microphone that we bought pretty cheap guess what? It didn't work great. So we returned it and got our money back and it's not really a big deal. And so whenever you're trying to buy equipment for whatever business it is, it doesn't really matter what it is you buy as long as you use whatever it is that you buy. And if you don't like it, return it. That's the worst thing that could happen. Right. Well, that's all my questions. I already knew most of those answers, but I'm glad that I know a lot of people have asked, well, what's Heath's story? What is, what is he doing? Because you always interview other people. So I'm glad that I could come on and interview you. Pick your brain a little bit. Yeah, and if you have any questions, uh, feel free to shoot them at me on Twitter, uh, at Heath Paget or at Alyssa Paget or join the Facebook group. That's not my Twitter handle. At Alyssa Paget. Alyssa Paget is not me. And I'm very adamant about this because of the things that she tweets slash that are in her bio. So Uh-oh. don't go there. Yeah. But... Yeah, I would say tweet at Heath. That's probably your best option of getting a response. Email, you'll get a response in the next 30 to 60 days. That's not true. 10 days. 10 days. Maybe a day if I'm feeling feeling spry. (laughs) But probably not. He'll probably be kayaking instead. Anyway, thanks for interviewing me, Alyssa. Thanks for having me. Hey guys, thanks again for listening to the podcast today. I hope you enjoyed the Q&A format. If I'm being honest, it was a little weird to go from the person interviewing someone to the person actually being interviewed, but it was fun. As always, you can find the show notes from today's episode at heathpageant.com forward slash episode 13. That's episode spelled out. And then the number 13, all the links we mentioned today's show will be there. You guys rock. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to leave a review in iTunes if you want to be qualified for the RV Copilot app giveaway. Uh, That's happening this week. So I'll see you all next week on the RV Entrepreneur Podcast.